0: Scary. Could <laughs> like, you do me a favor and put your watch here so I can see it? <laughs> there's yeah. cards, you can't not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one chat, one. Can you just tell me what it's time for questions?
1: I will. Please, I realize there's no clock. I'll do this. There's no clock. <laughs> <In this house. laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, you've written My Name is Leon, amazing first novel, and The Trick to Time, another extraordinary novel, one children's novel, one collection of short stories. Editor of the Common People Anthology. And it's all written with the most wonderful empathy. I And we said, before we came into this church, was just saying, uh, I don't want to ask you anything, tell you anything before we get on, but I just couldn't help but say how much I love the, the books, all the books. Um, and now the memoir, which I found incredibly fascinating. And I, I want to come back to some of the reading, some of that bit about Jehovah's Witness before we uh, finish. But first of all, why now? Why a memoir? And also, two questions here.
0: What did you learn about this stuff? Um, why now? Um, it was a heady mixture of intense, and heart capture. Well, it's a It works at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, initially I was writing a novel and um, a publisher approached me and said, would you write a memoir? And I said, no. And she said, oh, I think be so interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, was, I mean, she did have to persuade me because, When you grow up with a bizarre childhood, you do accept it as as a sort of normal. You know, the five of us, we normalised it. We knew our parents were weird, don't get me wrong, we knew our upbringing was weird, but you do just, you know, you just go, and just roll with it. And we were constantly saying to one of them when we were children, you know, come 16, we're going. Because it's a madhouse, and it was a madhouse. And also, if you weren't a Jehovah's Witness, you had to leave, you, you know, you, my mother required that you leave, because you, you weren't going to go to church, so to speak. Um, what did I learn from writing it? I, I've never had a, no compassion for my parents, I've always had compassion for My mother, it, you know, through the writing, over many years and we have thought my mother had mental health problems. You, that won't be a surprise to you reading the book, uh, but to us, we just thought she was a bit strange. But now looking back, she probably needed a diagnosis, she needed some medication. Um, so I learned to have, I would say more of the audiobook taught me stuff, because I, I can't do an Irish accent, but I did do one mother's um, voice, obviously. But I did do my father's accent in a West Indian accent, and the things that he said. And talking as him, mm. I thought, God, you're so unhappy. Mm. And I really thought he was angry most said his life and I wouldn't have said he was unhappy. But only when I was speaking as him, I thought, God's really unhappy man. So I learned that about him. Um, I think I forgave them both mm. many years ago. Um, so I, maybe a bit more compassionate. for mm. both
1: but the, the one thing that a memoir always does, isn't it, because you have to make a shape or something. Yes. Right? Yes. And so you've got a narrative of your life. You yes. know, most people don't take the time to make that, and you have it's a slightly chaotic one in your head. And that's that's what I, I was wondering, you know, what did it tell you about yourself
0: um, to, to make a narrative? I was shocked to find it was like a plot, to be honest, because you think, <laughs> <laughs> just writing that bit, writing that bit. And of course, we don't have plots, certainly. My memoirs stopped at 21, so up until I was 16, I had no agency in my life. I was told to do this and I did it, I was told not to do that. So I had no agency, so I never, you couldn't say I plotted my life, because I I was making no decisions. From 16 to 21, um, after I had left home, of course I did believe that Armageddon was coming, uh, and it didn't come in 1975. (laughs) Um, and I left home in 1976. I thought, well, it's on its way. You know, so pack it in. You're going to die. You <laughs> a cigarette. I said, I have a lot more than a cigarette. So I did. <laughs> um, and I, you know, sex wasn't rock and roll for five years, and it was exhausting. <laughs> um, and while the time I was 21, I was thinking, sorry, no, you're not going to die. And stop. stopped. But that, that was probably the only bit of my life that could say I had a plot because I was trying to mm. achieve something. I was trying to be oblivious is what I was trying to achieve. Um, and so when I was writing the memoir, I just, I didn't plot it, I just literally wrote a chapter about my mom right making my brother away that the for no reason. Uh, chapter about my dad then goes to my don't Just chapter, chapter, chapter. And then I had to arrange. Mm. I had to think of all the, not the most bizarre, but some of the bizarre things that happened, and put them in a sort of chronological, broadly speaking chronological order.
1: So, I mean, for people who haven't read it or looked up on Wikipedia, I mean, most of us come from a kind of mix of backgrounds,
0: but, but as you said, your parents were very opposite, weren't they? Very opposite. Yes. T- tell, t- yes. tell us a bit about that. Uh, my mother came with her mother from Wexford. Um, in 19, I suppose it would have been like 1936. Um, and they were very, very poor. My mother was like, my grandmother was an Irish Catholic. She left Ireland with her husband and, and some of her children. And she had nine altogether, but she left because she wanted a better life. And she came to going and worked very hard. Had, uh, she had took in lodges on top of her nine children. So very, very straight circumstances. Um, and my mother, when she was uh, 24, met my father, who had just come over from the West Indies, 1956, this is. And he had come to escape poverty in, uh, in St Kitts. And they could not have been less well suited, I mean, it has to be said, she, physically, even. He was black, six foot five, enormous, very, very handsome, very dapper, loved, loved clothes, loved himself. And my mother was this sort of five foot two paddy, innocent, she, you know, she wasn't beautiful, she just loved him, she wanted to have lots of children. And my dad had come for two years, you know, and then finds himself with an Irish Catholic, doesn't believe in birth control. So five children later, he's waiting to go home, he spends his life with us telling us that he only came for a short period of time and I want to go home, I want to go home, home is paradise, home is going to give him this. And he meets this woman, has all these children, and she's waiting for paradise of a different sort. So the two of them, we're brought up by these two parents who sort of fell out of love, if ever they were in love a while before that. Um, He's waiting to go home, paradise, paradise, paradise. She's waiting to paradise, paradise, paradise. And we're in the <laughs> What are you talking about? There's no here and now for either of them. They were never present. They were never aware of the beauty of real life of the, of the here and now, of investing in, uh, in that kind of thing. So we, we were just brought up by two malcontents. Mm-hmm. We have the highest order. You turned out all right. It has yes. To
1: be <laughs> um, one thing, and you just touched on it there. I was really struck by this erratic money yes. in your family. So your dad was, as you were saying, he's he's um, planning to go home. So yes. he he but he's buying himself incredible clothing and, yes. and buying presents for people back home. And your mother is, you know, sometimes saving, and sometimes going on trips
0: herself. Um, so, you were hungry, probably, yes. that, weren't you? And yet there was money, they were both working. Yes. So, my father, because he wanted to go back to the West Indies, was determined to build a house there. Um, so, he worked incredibly long hours as a bus driver in grim parts of Birmingham uh, to go back to the West Indies and to buy a house and to live there and to return to common hero. that's a very common immigrant story that you leave, but when you go home, you go and you say, look what I did, I did all these things and I've got this and I've come back. Um, so that was my father's dream and so he worked all these hours and saved up a lot of money. And the money he didn't save are people mohair suits and beautiful shoes that he he must have imagined in own um, walking down the road at home and there's my house and I'm wearing these beautiful clothes and a silk tie that yeah, silk handkerchief that matches the tie and a tie pin and these socks that were probably five pounds a pair, And we used to look and we were tramps. We were brought up in poverty. My mother was working five or six jobs, cleaning her, child-minded, cleaning the laundrette, direct, working on the tear at the supermarket, feeding us, feeding him mm. out of that money, and, and feeding us and dressing us in jungle out clothes. Um, and it, we were starving. You know? I was taken to hospital twice during my childhood for being underweight because they couldn't understand why like, was not putting myself because I have no food. Um and it was, you know, it all sounds very terrible. It wasn't it was terrible. We were hungry, but we were also incredibly funny, mis- resourceful, um excited. Children that were excited by life. We did the game. And we liked nothing more than making fun of our parents because we knew they were strange. And we uh, we would wind them up, you know. So really bad. this sounds really bad. I'm telling you anyway. Um, My we used to watch Tarzan on the telly back in the day, which I absolutely loved. Although it's very boring because we knew the plot. You know what's going to happen. Johnny one I think usually was um, was going to have to swim because he was a really good swimmer he was going to have cheetah, he was going to tell the chief what was going on, blah, 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 you know, the plot, you knew the plot. And every so often we would say to my dad, who came from that Indies, that's what it's like, dad, did you have a did you live in a lot with it? We knew we didn't, <laughs> but we just just winding up that he came from Africa, and did, dad, did you ever kill a tiger, dad, did you ever kill a cheetah? And he was really insulted, I mean, his English children, who were being quite racist. You know, you have to have some fun somewhere. <laughs> um, and my mother was not wrong. I mean, she was just a very, very simple girl, very simple woman. And, and we used to talk about things that we knew she didn't understand. It was cruel, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was yeah. our version of getting her own back from my parents.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely see that. And the siblings are the... Especially your yes. sister, I would say. That's yeah. that's where they're loving the... Love and the Yes. nourishment and
0: that A lot of joy between us because we knew it was hard, and the only people that would understand the ridiculousness and the weirdness of our childhood were my brothers and sisters. So we became a tribe. I don't think we would any of us have survived if we'd been only children. Mm. It was only that we would have these bizarre things happen to us, and we'd sort of nudge each other and go. You know, that what she's doing, doing. and we'd say, Yes, that's not right. It's a way of normalizing or or us normalizing what we Mm -hmm. were witnessing from Mm -hmm. our strange parents. I think you're right, actually. I think a single child
1: just wouldn't have no no mirrors and nobody would do that. Absolutely. But now you're a mother, and do you look back at that (laughs) that little person (laughs) that you were and think,
0: Gosh. That was extraordinary, and Yes, uh, I mean over the years we have, me and my siblings, we've talked about it a lot, mm-hmm. so there was no sort of catharsis element to writing this, um, this book. I did have to have their permission yeah, of yeah. sorts, so um, I told them I was writing it, and when I finished it and it was about 70,000 words, I sent it to my siblings together. and I said, right, here's the memoir, um, you have power of veto over any page, any sentence, any chapter, write to me, tell me what, just give me the page number and what you want taken out, and I will not try and persuade you that it goes in, and I won't try and tell you that that did happen if you say it didn't, it, there's no negotiation. Um, So I sent it to them on Friday and then regretted it almost immediately because I just thought if they each vetoed ten thousand (laughs) words, I have no (laughs) thought giving you a better Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I sort of waited and I got phone calls over the weekend with um, different you know, different say, You haven't put that in, you haven't put this in. But one sister wanted two words taken out and that was it. That was it. the four, and that was about her. No, it's about two words about my grandmother about my about black man. So we had a white man and a black man, and uh, there were two words about black man she didn't like, and she just said don't place two words used, and that was it. Wow. And the rest of it, they were just like, yep, that's what it was like. That happened. It was that weird. So it must have been good for all of you in a way. Very <laughs> good. I mean, my brother. Um, I have one brother. Uh, three sisters and my brother said when he read the first chapter you know triggering is not a word we use in our family it's very Mm -hmm. modern words we don't use it but he 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 said he read the first chapter close and he said oh god i feel like i'm back there Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm back there and he said it took him a while then to go back into the book and read it Mm -hmm. um but apart from that one sister rang me and I, i picked up the phone you don't need a phone like that anymore. Like that. So, she picks up the phone and um, she was just making this noise. She's going, Oh my God, you know, she really upset her. And she's laughing. <laughs> she's just laughing at it. And it was a really strange uh, phrase. I, I talked to my mother wearing old perfume and she just she, remembered the old perfume. It was so great. So, most of the time, they were reading up and, uh, and saying they hadn't put up in. You know, one about this chapter, one about that chapter. And of course, you know, I could bore people with lots and lots of chapters. I just had to give the chapters that epitomized my mother's mental illness, for example, or my father's selfishness, um, or the fun that we had, and um, had to just leave so much out. But then, like why I said it was so good for all of you is because when you
1: put something on a page, first of all, it makes it real, yes. doesn't it? Yes, and, and it means it did really happen yes it And did. it makes it, it gives it a kind of sanity and in, insanity in yes absolutely and also when, when I was writing bits of it so one of
0: the things my mother did all through my childhood which we knew wasn't great but we didn't think it was as bad as it was and my mother in the days when we were just delivered uh, we used to have three times to it every day and so my mother used to Washed the milk bottles and put two out. And one used to go into you know the plastic um, laundry baskets. One used to go into the laundry basket, go into the laundry basket, go till the laundry basket was absolutely full of milk bottles. And we knew what this was for, uh, but we didn't know today it would happen. And then out of the blue, without warning, she would drag the milk bottle to the back of the house, which was a concrete yard. And she would just pick up each one bottle and smash it against the wall for an hour, or it wasn't an maybe 25 minutes, she just smashed them. Deliberately, slowly, not in fury, just like she had to do it. And we would invariably be upstairs watching from the upstairs I and mean, the yeah. And then she'd very calmly sweep it up and put it away, and it was fine for a long time and then the little bottles and see the milk start, go and it. And so, you know, as a child, you just think, oh, you know, she's doing yeah. that you thing, holding the little poppers, you can't really think about it. Yeah. Then you want to sit down and think, yeah. oh, that's so strange, yeah. it's such a strange thing. Um, and we used to, because she used to make a certain noise when she'd talking, grunting noise, and we'd be able to go, <laughs> you know, just making lights, making fun out yeah. of this, quite strange. It's, it? yeah. it's surviving isn't it? It's a way of surviving. It's a very unhealthy way of surviving. Because actually, we, you know, that wasn't good for children to be witnessing that kind of violence. It wasn't violence against us at all. We were never um, hit or anything like that. But it was a kind of violence. Yeah. And it was the violence of her soul. And the deep unhappiness that we were witnessing this outward portrayal for her. That was in an unhappy marriage, very poor, five children that she thought probably took the piss out of too much. So she had that, and this was her, you know, her way out. And then it was, it was all over for a few months probably.
1: And so up in in big families, I'm one of five myself, but I'm at the top, and I get called senior kid. And, and, yes. every, and I know in big families
0: everybody gets a personality. Yes. What was what was yours? I was the daydreamer, yeah. and the watcher, and the recording of the family. It's not secrets, family stories. I still now would have my sister would ring me and say, what was the name of the man at the road? And for some reason, I've always got the information. So I was the watch, and most of my family very autistic, very much, much more doers than I was as a child. I would be watching them do the bad thing, do the naughty thing, I would be, I'm a perfect second child, I'm a perfect second, I love second, it's great. Because someone else gets the attention and you can just be there. And You're not last. you're not in the middle, you're just seconds, great. I really recommend second. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was just a perfect second child and I'd be there and I'd see what was going on but I didn't have the attention, my sister got and my sister did get a lot of attention. Very clever, um, very artistic my mother's much long for first child. Um, so she got my mother's attention a lot. Then there's a sister below me who was born to my mother while Black Nana, my Black grandmother, mm. lived with us and Black Nana claimed her. Mm. Uh, and then there's a boy, and a boy's always my daughter, a boy at last, three girls and a boy. So he got his attention. Then there's the last child, the much, Longed for a loved, sweet, gorgeous little new baby that we all loved the last one. Mm. And there's me. And I just didn't have anywhere to locate my um, specialness, if you like. So I was a watcher. Mm. And it sounds sad. Believe me, that is not sad. In my family, to have no attention was a massive <laughs> <level of sadness. laughs> it, it was.
1: It was great. It was a good place to be. So I wanted to read a little bit more. And funny enough, this um, follows on exactly from what you're talking about, doesn't it. Observer. And um, I think it's, you know, you can see where you where your writing where you came from. It's uh,
0: right. So this is my mother mopping the front stack, that famous work indication of goodness. <laughs> She splashes the mass of the mop water on the front path where it floods the front garden, across the pavement and into the gutter, disappearing down the drain. I run towards it and float a leaf on the surface, watching it drop into oblivion. When she's done, I tiptoe to the front garden to sit on the wall. If I'm quiet, no-one will know, and if I don't spend too long, no-one will miss me. The others will be playing somewhere, and I can be alone. Brain at think, thinking whatever I want or nothing at all. I never tell anyone about this time. I don't want to share it. I watch the passengers on the bus, the people driving the cars, the passers-by and neighbours. I like to see how different people walk. Some men walk on their toes and not their heels with their hands in their pockets. They're usually young. The old men take slow, deliberate steps in overcoats and trilbies, marching but to a slower beat. Some women have handbags lodged in the crook of their arm, and that arm waves right and left as they walk, like the rudder of a boat. They have headscarves and lipstick like Auntie Marv, and they have little heels on their shoes that scuff the pavement as they walk. Women with shopping bags don't have lipstick or handbags, but carry their load with long arms, with their heads at an angle, like they're listening to half a conversation. I like to watch the Irishmen who lodge in the houses at the top of the road when they walk home, how tired they are, how tired. I like to watch old people who are bent from the middle of their backs like there's a special hinge there that only starts working when you get past (laughs) sixty. I sit on the front garden wall for hours. The road is like a film sometimes, a very slow film without any guns or fights, but their absence just makes it more interesting. In the emptiness of the streets without cars and buses, I look at the front doors and think about the lives behind them, lives that nobody else can imagine. There's someone having an argument in the kitchen, and maybe a baby crying in an upstairs room. There are people sitting and reading a newspaper, and maybe someone is reading an airline letter like the one Long gets from her sister in Australia. There are pictures of fields and lakes and rainbows hanging on walls, and photographs of grandchildren, and maybe someone died in the war, and their photograph is still on the mantelpiece so they're never forgotten. Someone is making a cake, someone is making a bed, someone is crying this black and white film, someone And if you speed up the film and cut out all the quiet bits, it's even more interesting because then you would concentrate on all these people walking up and down the road and people are different before they see me. When they think they're all alone on the road, they're wondering about things, private things, personal things, secrets, and their eyes are staring straight ahead but seeing the moving pictures of their memories and thoughts inside their head. But when they see me and know I'm watching, they make tiny, tiny adjustments to their walking. Their eyes blink and they come back to the street from wherever they were and smooth down the lapels of their coat or straighten the collar. The collar doesn't need straightening. We both know that. And the lapels are just fine. It's just a way of saying, I've seen you and you've seen me. They hardly ever speak, but they don't have to. I know that because of me, they have changed ever so slightly in a way that no one else would notice, but I notice. And that makes God and war watching time the best time of the day. Thank you.
1: I'll put that in a second. But even though you didn't do books, that, that. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know that minutiae and that kind of oh, I love that. This is about lapels, etc. Yeah. So, sure. and when did you first decide that you were going to
0: start recording some of this? Um, as you were. I was 40, um, I don't know, 45, I think, um, and I had. Worked from 21 to 45, um, and adopted a little boy when um, I was 41, 42, and had to give it work for the first time. And um, I was bored, I was bored, was so bored. Did a mother and baby home, home, a mother and baby, and baby group once, hated it. So, I've proven the house, bought new cushions, the way you do do all these things, and you think, oh my god, I can't keep doing that for years. So, um, I thought I'd write a book, and I thought I'd be really good at writing books, really good, because I've read so many. Um, And I was rubbish, I couldn't believe I was so bad. Um, And I just kept going. I I realised that I wanted to do this thing. It was the first time in my life having worked for 20 something years that I found ambition. Um, Before that I had jobs, good jobs, great jobs, but when the job was over, the job was over and I went back to my life. This was something that I was desperate to do. Mm -hmm. I would do it's completely unpaid, obviously when I first started, um, completely unacknowledged, but it had so gripped me I wanted to get better. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept going and kept going. Um, And I wanted to be like my literary heroes. You know, the, the, the gap between seeing in my head and what was appearing on the page was enormous. But mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it was so hard to say um, it was a starry night. Yeah. Yeah, in, in a and exciting way, you know, you just think, oh my god, it's all been said, it's all been done. So you try and you try and you keep trying. So, because it was, your sister was big wasn't Yes. She? Yeah. Yeah, you talk about that you two sharing bed, and she, but you didn't read at all, no, did you? Not at all. We had the um, Bible, which I've read many, many times, and that was the reading material. So my mother read the Bible, my father read the News of the World. Two great works. my Two very different books. Two very different books. And I didn't. I wasn't interested in that, I mean. And there's a lot of some racy mix in there, As occasionally i the other at that, the Bible, I, you know, God no, no. Um, so, and at school, you know, I went to school in the days when you went round the class and you read three pages, three pages, three pages, three pages. So slow, so slow, it drove me mad. So I just think, I'm not going to read when I get home, because I, I couldn't stand it, I couldn't stand the books. it on the floor, I couldn't believe how bad that was. Uh, and it's just like no, so I didn't read at all voluntarily until I was twenty-one. And tell us what So I had stopped fearing for my mental health. I would stopped taking drugs and decided to get a job and, and to, to try. I wouldn't say clean up my life. I don't like that phrase, but just get a grip on my life. I realised I wasn't going to die. Armageddon is not going to come and I had to do something else other than wait for it, wait to die. So I got a job with the Prime Contribution Service as the secretary to one of the senior solicitors. And one day, um, as I'm taking dictation, I yawned. And he thought I was out having a great time on 21, and you know, surely she's out at night. But I said, no, I just can't sleep. So he said, you need a book. And he gave, him, I said, give me the top 10 books. Not realizing that this man spent most of his life in the army, so he gave me 10 military books to read. <laughs> um, he gave me the Siege of Krishnapur, poor War and Peace, the Red Badge of Courage, Three Men in the Boat, the Little of the Sands. Um, but also, he gave me Madame Bovary and he gave me Therese Racan to read, he'd done a French degree. And I went to then. Uh, Dylan's as it was before it's water Stone's and I just went to the, I mean, I've never heard of these books that he wrote down for me, and I went to the classic section, I didn't know I was in the classic section, I was just in the black spine section, got them, took them to the tip, had loads of money, I'm not buying drugs, and <laughs> I you know, just had these books, and I was just like, oh, that's reading, that's the world. I can be anybody. I can be here. And for the first time, I felt my peace, a sort of peace descend uh, that I hadn't had for a long, long time. Um, and I've uh, always struggled with insomnia, still having insomnia. And I would, if I woke up, or if I hadn't gone to sleep, I'd just sit down, get a book. I'm in France, I'm in Paris, I'm on the moon, in uh, you know, whatever. I'm somewhere else, I'm not in my world. So when I read those ten, and it was very quickly I read those ten, I went back and I thought, well they all had a black spine, so just try another black spine, (laughs) read those, read those, and and I went like that for about 15 years of black spine. I read, almost exclusively, read the classics with the odd departure, but it really was an odd departure. From reading the black spine classics, I moved into the more modern classics, Graham green. Um, Sorset Maugham, that sort of era sort of 1910 onwards, and then I thought actually you should read some contemporary literature, this is probably 20 years in by now, and started to read uh, contemporary literature, and hence there's huge gaps, huge, huge gaps in my reading, because I started with classics which are mostly men. So I've read so I thinking, really Yeah, totally, you know men, I, I was reading men for a long, long time with you know the exception of the Brontes, or mm. P. Borden, but men. And then I realised there was this big gap in my uh, understanding of literature. And you know, I've never done a literature great. still don't know what postmodernism means. Mm. No buttonic, I'm not really interested, but I don't <laughs> I don't know the schools, I don't know all the terminology for for literature and how things fit together. I do love the, the books, I remember the books and I, I return to them, I return to in Lockdown, for example. I read Arnold Bennett in Lockdown. Wow, fantastic, just great. Um, but as I say I've got gaps in my knowledge. Uh, and not haven't read enough women, haven't read enough contemporary women, which I'm now trying to put right. But do you think that reading taught you plotting? It taught me plotting, it taught me the one thing about those books, and I did find this in the lockdown when I was reading it on the which is very old fashioned. Mm-hmm. They are not in a rush to get to the end. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like they go around the houses and they introduce a character. At Vanity Fair is probably the most typical example of this. They've introduced a character that has got a tiny, tiny part we're going to meet his mum, we're going to go to school with him, we're going to learn all about him, and then he walks on and he walks off, and that's it, (laughs) They did that on purpose, they want to keep you in the book. Some of these books came out as periodicals, you know, weekly. but even so, they, you know, they're not competing with Netflix. They want (laughs) to keep you reading the book. And when I read Playhanger in the lockdown, I was like, wow, dude get to the point, <laughs> but it was beautifully written, beautifully written, uh, words, you know, if you just want to go for word magic, that's, that's what they do really, really well, and there's a lot of, you know, amazing compassion in those books that we don't really think of, they're off their time, they're old fashioned, there's lots wrong with them, in terms of racism, and sexism, and lots of other things. And there's a lot right with them as well, and you have to read them for the place that they have in our lives and the
1: place that they have in the studio. So it's interesting that you've responded to compassion because that was the, I was saying to get earlier, one of the things that I read, um, my name's Neil, and the trick time. And um, I was so struck with both of them, the compassion for, for these characters, and also this, I have to say, this deep
0: sadness too for a lot of your characters. Yes, I think, I think there's a lot of damage, I think lots of people are damaged, even if it's in a small way, a, a disappointment, a slight, um, perhaps not a parent's love, perhaps thwarted in something or unrecognised ambition. And I think that you know, some of those things that look quite small, you know, you couldn't make a book out of it, you couldn't make a programme out of it, but it's nevertheless a profound effect on people. I think that goes on a lot for a lot of people, so I do think we've all got some sadness. I do also have compassion. I've worked in criminal law for 15 years. I've worked in family law. Um, I've worked with some really bad, bad people. You know, you'd say they've committed terrible crimes, murder, the worst crimes that they're to commit. And those bad people who love their mother, help people across the road, are kind, sometimes, to some people. It's very, like, I've met some horrendously bad people who have gone to prison for the rest of their lives and will never come out. And um, there's a humanity there. There's very few evil people, I believe, in the world. Very, very, very few evil people. Circumstances or wrong decisions have been made by a lot of people. So there are bad people that can do good things and very good people who can do bad things and make mistakes. And just as I wouldn't want to be judged on the worst thing I've ever done, I don't think we should judge people on the worst thing they've ever done, either. Um, whilst not condoning bad behavior, I do believe in the humanity. I think forgiveness wherever possible. Forgiveness isn't always possible. Um, you know, you, you think about some people who have lost children in terrible ways and they say they can't forgive completely, understandable. But I think for most of us, if we can, trying to understand other people is perhaps the only way forward for the human race in such a divided society now is trying to understand bad behaviour, wrong behaviour, things that we don't like, things that we don't understand. Even if we don't agree with it, just saying, OK, I can see where you're coming from. There's a lot of forgiveness, I think, in your... Yes, I think there has to be. Um, my parents, so when I left home when I was 16, as I said, one time, and got to 21, and as I say, I was absolutely mashed. I'd had been six years of, you know, wildness, wild, gay, gay abandon, just trying everything, because so I thought I was going to die. And I really believed I was going to die. I had to pack it in, do everything you want to do. So by the time I was 21, like I, said, I was a mess, and I thought I was having a breakdown. I had a very, very tenuous grip on reality. And despite my completely dysfunctional parents, dysfunctional life, and um, you know, all the mistakes my parents have made, who do I want? I want my mum. And I go and find my mum. And she's wonderful, she's kind, and she doesn't judge me, even though my lifestyle has been appalling from her point of view. And she gathers me up and she takes me home to my dad, uh, because I get to find her at work. And she took me home to to my dad. And my dad, who has no vocabulary for compassion, no vocabulary, never say, I love you, never. But he makes me a bowl of porridge and puts it in front of me, and that's his way of saying I love you, and that's his way of saying, Come and move back home because I can see you look terrible. Um, and it's, it's that they forgave me. I'm not the daughter they want, believe me, I'm not the dream, I'm not the immigrant's dream, I'm not an example to anybody. And they welcome me home and they give me everything I need to get back on my feet. Then I leave, can't wait to leave. Um, but I do stay there and get better. And as you as I grow up and become a parent my abiding maxim for being a parent is to be nothing like mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just think, do they do that? Don't do that. Do they do that? Don't it is a great blueprints. But that thing of being where you go when you're in trouble. Yeah. That that I have got from my parents, that I do want to have. That there is a, a home and there is a heart there that will is always open to you, even if you do something wrong. So um I forgive them for that and I also applaud them for that in mean, their limited ways and their limited ways of explaining things. They always told me I could come home. Um, <laughs> it is a nice service. <laughs> nice
1: service thank you for that. Um, is, is it hard to go Um <laughs> We have a reading right Okay. What's up your you have? Oh, that's always good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much,
0: Thank you Um I wondered if you could speak about the experience of having the book
1: be the, the book kind of for book of the week, having it so heavily abridged and doing the narration yourself as well? Um the narration was, as I said, you know,
0: quite Extraordinary to do. I did find doing Irish accent, it was so bad. <laughs> I would have been embarrassed to do an Irish accent. I could do my dad's for some reason, I could do a West Indian accent. It was very heavily abridged, and I can remember when I read it thinking, oh, this won't make any sense. But it did, it did, I know it did in, in the delivery of it. It's an amazing privilege to have the book be the book of the week. Um, you're into an audience that perhaps you wouldn't normally meet. Um, and also, I, I was very aware how lucky I am to have, to have that as an author. Many authors don't get that. Yeah, you know, authors that, nothing to do with the quality of their work, they, they just don't get the opportunity. So, um, I was overjoyed to do it, and just hope that it did bring people to the book and to have, perhaps, their experience they normally know about. Someone else on that side?
1: Say a Thank you very Thank you. much. I loved your book, um, My Name is Leon. Thank okay. you. It's um, just like a roller coaster reading it. What I wanted to ask you was, have you grown and do you
0: like scarlet Emperor Beans? <laughs> <laughs> have I grown?
1: Yes.
0: Grown with love. <laughs> oh, have I grown? F- uh, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I had an allotment uh, when I was about 32. I think I was going through a domestic phase. Um, and I was making jams. <laughs> tapestry, various other things that don't suit me, but I was doing that. And I had an allotment with friends of mine. I, because probably because of my training, I liked straight lines, and I wanted this sort of, I love the kit as well, with gloves and all the gear, you know, I just wanted to have all this stuff that you don't need to have, have a lot with. And I wanted straight lines, and I wanted beds that were, you know, edged in box and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, I had an allotment with someone just wanted to get a packet seat together. Like, what are you doing? And so it was a disaster. We got told off by the equivalent of Mr. Deadlib. There was a man there who used to come round and tell us off because it wasn't weeded or whatever. And really, once I bought the gloves and the trowel, I wasn't that interested in it. <laughs> so it died a death. But I'm, I did grow for start everything. Yes, and I did have an allotment. Any <laughs> yes. other Listening to you talk today, um, and uh, if I have got my maths right, you started reading again at 21. Yes. And then you started writing at 42. Yes. So what the heck's going to happen next year? Oh, yes. Next year, actually, I'm 62 I'm in July. I'm, um, I'm writing another. I am writing another book, and it's the book that I had to abandon when I was gently coerced into writing a memoir, and in that. Strangely, I'm a great plotter for novels, so I really, really plot. And so I've written the book, half of it, write the memoir, come back to the half that I've written, I'm just like, what is that? That doesn't work, or that's not my, what I want to say about life. And it was really strange, leaving something, doing this deep dive into identity, and survival, and the joy of being a child. And then coming back to this book and going, it's it it's not right, so I've had to go and totally refashion um, the novel that I'm writing at the moment, but it's just great to get back to writing, oh my god, I love it and also, you know, when you write a memoir, you can't kill anyone up, you know, you can't, you can't marry someone, you can't do that. when you write you can, you're going to die you're going to get married, you're going to run away to sit, you can do what you like and so I'm back to being God. I really like it. fantastic. It's the... Um, I'm going to put
1: the hand up and you can get up there, so it, it makes me realise that one of my questions was going to be, you know, what was the benefit of chaos? Yeah. Yeah, your, of your childhood. And I, I, I just think that kind of... That I think
0: I've got permission to do, to do anything. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Sorry, I haven't read your parent but I did love my name is Leon. And um, are your parents, did they stay
0: together and um, are they still around? Yeah. so both of my parents are dead. I wouldn't have written this if they'd been alive. They'd be mortified. You know, not it's it's not condemnatory in any way about them. But just them having their private lives on parade. And also, I don't think, I think my mother died. Um, the year before the pandemic, my father died when I was 38. I think um, they would have found their they would they have thought they were better parents than they were. Mm-hmm. My parents never got up every day and thought, "I'll be a bad parents today." They were better to us than their parents had been to them. So they would be shocked to find they were good parents. Um, so I would never ever have written. Remember, mean, when they was she, did they stay together? Why they stayed stay together, I don't know, but they did stay together. <laughs> a very unhealthy, uh, very unhealthy relationship. But nevertheless, of course, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you can't get divorced, except for adultery. Adultery is the only reason you can get divorced. And as far as I know, my father never forced adultery, so she wouldn't divorce divorced him. And my dad, you know, he loved her. He'd never been really in the in years, but he loved all the years he's Hello, a follow up question. Did you ever get back to the West Indies? Tragically, he did. It's in the book, so when I was 14, he said, I'm going to get back to the West Indies. And, um, Oh, my God, the preparations were weeks and weeks in the making. He so had to go home looking great and being this guy. And he bought 6 months ticket, you know, ticket, ticket, come back, anytime six months. We were like, yes, he's gone. Hallelujah. Bye, Dad. Two weeks later, he's back. <laughs> and we were like, Dad, six months, we're going for six months. And he said it was too hot. <laughs> Yes, the West Indies had been hot, and then he said, food wasn't too spicy, Uh, television wasn't very good, cricket wasn't on. He missed Malcolm & Wise. Uh, I mean, he'd become Victor Meldrew in the the years between coming here and going home. He'd become an Englishman He would never, ever, ever ever admitted that. He'd never acknowledged it. And he missed us and he was shocked. He would never have that way. but we knew he missed us and he was very very disappointed that that paradise he'd carried and sacrificed so much for, sacrificed the relationship with his children and his wife for the rest of his. and he goes there and actually all his friends are in England anyway. It is too hot. He's got used to this temperate climate He's got the television, he's got the black and white films, it wasn't what he thought. And he he carried that disappointment very heavily for the rest of his life and never went back again, he never wanted to. So he lived his life, you know, with paradise lost, I suppose. Have you gone? No, I've been to Ireland many, many times. um, And I I an used to say, I've never been back to the West Indies. Mostly because he used to threaten us with the West Indies. you don't do that, you'll go to the West Indies. you don't do that,
1: you go to the West Indies. And we just imagine it was just a glorified prison. So, uh, one of my sisters has been back in London. Yeah. Um, I'm always fascinated to know how people who believe in the imminent end of the world cope when it doesn't happen. Um, I wondered how your mother cope with 1975 coming and going, and Green Salt, Julie, and was living uh, in the seven, I don't know her, whatever it was in 1977. Um, how did she take you, it? Did you fly through it? Like many Jehovah's
0: Witnesses, and there are still many Jehovah's Witnesses, 1975 became 1981, became 2000, became 2002. So the, the year was always changing, uh, always changing, always slightly, not too far in the future, so that, you know, you wouldn't behave yourself. Happens to be just far ahead enough. So for my mother, she died, uh, 85, it's round the corner, it's round the corner. She'd say to us all the time and we'd just go, yeah, it's we'll this long, it's round the corner. She clung to it, um, she must have been disappointed but she'd never tell us and we never made her feel stupid about that, we'd just go, yeah, it's it's coming, definitely. But yeah, load of trying, I mean, just, it, it's, it's very unhealthy. We just, I love all your books and I have a particular promise for your young adult
1: book, Becoming Domina. I wondered if you have any plans to write a more young adult in the near future?
0: Um, no, I haven't because I am writing this book that needs so much work. Then I'm going to write Leon as an adult, which mm-hmm. is how I knew him. My name is Leon. Was only ever the backstory to this adult man I know called Leo. So that has to be next. Maybe after that, if I can, you know, if I'm still alive, um, definitely, yes, I'll, I'll, I might go back to that. Thank you. If someone came to you now and was asked for 10, and that's for Ten or how, how would they, what, what would they be? I have been dying to be on this island, <laughs> <laughs> So, do you want the whole list now? Nice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it would be Madame Bovary, most definitely. Um, the Card, by Arnold Bennett, Beloved by Tony Morrison, so i keep track of these books. Um, the City of Doha by Kevin Barry, Secret Scripture by Sebastian Barry. I know I'm doing men, let me just recalibrate for a minute. Um, so this is a very strange book, but it's The History of colleges. It's really good, really, really good. And it's Out of the moment by Ben McIntyre. Um, good Behaviour by Molly Keane. Jane Eyre, go on Jane Eyre, go Jane Eyre. How much have you got? (laughs) Two more. Um, Me Talk Pretty One Day by David Sedaris. Mm -hmm. I don't see mine, sorry. Let me think of my last book. I should have prepared this. Um, I think... Yeah, I know there's a lot of classics in there, but that's my foundation. Um, yeah, i mean, I actually now I start so I could go on, but let's just say. Is it as a service? I agree, At the final yeah, in the middle of isn't it? Need to do this. Do we have time for another question? One last question, or what? I think Yes, that's what I said. Do we have time for, yeah, one one time, one. time for one last
1: question? Yeah, we have one last question. Be brave. That's something nice, though, so we end well. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I not think there's, a, there's something of the
0: author in every work of fiction. Has writing this memoir changed, do you think, what you will put into future works of fiction? It's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I know that, as I said, returning to what I was writing before doesn't feel... Right. Um, so maybe I have this. This book is quite episodic, so it's like I was saying, the plot. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of the plot. I was just writing down episodes. And the book that I was writing that I abandoned was much less that. It's much more um, narratively led. So perhaps it will make me a bit more ambitious about just writing something spontaneously, as opposed to the. Obsessive plotting that I do with most of my books. Maybe I'll be a bit freer. Learn to be a bit freer. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. Is this the best for you? A career of all your careers? <laughs> oh my God! It's not work. It's not work. Writing is not work. It's the most, I'm the luckiest person in the world. When I think about what some people have to do to earn a living, I am lucky. I'm spoiled. And. I'm very, very glad, very, very happy to do what I do. Well,
1: all I can say is we're really lucky ones, I have to tell you. It is an extraordinary book, and so are the novels. Thank you, Kate, so much. Thank Thank you. you.